are the people I truly serve. This is Year Zero. Today, I have Dave from Dave vs. Goliath on the show. We talk all kinds of dystopian possibilities in this podcast. We discuss the sustainable development, Agenda 2030, the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, and all of the good conspiracies. But first, RyanBunting.com. For all of your graphic design needs, go to RyanBunting.com. Ryan Bunting is a great anarcho-capitalist and a great libertarian. RyanBunting.com. For all of your graphic design needs, he designed my podcast logo and Pete Quinones' podcast logo for Free Man Beyond the Wall. As always... Thank you, Tom Burton. And if you're looking for a way to support the show and learn autonomy, check out the affiliate links for Learn Autonomy. There's 19 Skills PDF, Learn Autonomy, and Critical Thinking. Enjoy the show. All righty, all righty, all righty. I'm here with Mr. Dave from Dave vs. Goliath. What's going on, bub? What's up, Tommy? How you doing, brother? Oh, I'm doing well. It's just early day today. I was freaking... This week's been hectic, man. My first load, I went and sat for six hours to get it. And then uh, this last load I did, I sat for six hours to fucking get loaded. It's just like, oh, Jesus. Uh, it, that, that'll man. fuck up your whole week. Yeah, hurry up and wait, right? Yeah, 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 because I, I had... I had an appointment time too, so I was there, and it was just like, okay, well, whatever. So, right. So, so, and you're in Louisiana. That's cool, man. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. I'm just uh, just outside of Baton Rouge at the moment. Yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah. Nice man. But um, and this uh, the load I'm picking up got delayed until tomorrow, so I'm just like, eh, whatever. I only had a couple hours left Hanging of my out, day leisurely. anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Just chilling. So we were talking about this. I heard you, uh, I heard your podcast where you were talking about agenda 2030. And then you heard me on uh, free man beyond the wall with Pete talking about, um, the shaping the future of the industrial revolution. And we were like, well, we need to get together on this and see if we can't put our heads together. Um, I think I might have a little different opinion about agenda 2030 than you do. So I think it's going to be interesting and maybe I'm not taking it seriously enough, which is very possible. But I can see how how their their plans and their ideas have at least influenced or been influenced by the same people that are influencing Klaus Schwab in in the uh, shaping the future of the fourth industrial revolution. When you look at the Great Reset, you can trace these things back. I don't know if you listened to my interview I did with Richard Grove. But he was he was getting back into the history of it and back into Cecil Rhodes' idea and what what was written in his will and things of that nature. So you, I think you can trace the influences of this back 
a long ways, you know, to to, yeah. to the 19th, uh, early 20th century, late 19th century. Mm -hmm. I agree with you absolutely on that for sure. So when you uh, when you run a, ran across the Agenda 2030 and uh, you read part of that article on your show, which I thought was interesting, and they've been even the World Economic Forum put out a video that said the same thing: "You will own nothing and you will be happy," you know, type deal. So, w what was your first thought whenever you ran across that article, dude? Uh, my first thought, and this is, I guess, it's been a thought since the uh, like the lockdown started, but I'm amazed how much, like, I always thought that the boot of the cathedral would come down on our neck like 1984 style. And I'm really kind of shocked about how much is being done through manufacturing consent, through just getting the people on board with it first, having them spy on their neighbors, having them, you know, feel virtuous by narking on people. Like they've, they've really taken some time, decades to like curate that culture, that narc culture, that caring culture that, you know, if you can't trust your neighbors, you're fucked. The whole, the whole experiment is fucked. So um, that was one of the first things I noticed, man, was that, oh, they're not gonna have to do as much, uh, they're not gonna have to use the, the mechanism of the state as much as I thought. Like, we'll, we'll do the work for them. Right. Um, that's pretty apparent. Yeah, well, and it's, uh, you know, they, 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 <laughs> They studied a lot under Edward Bernays, apparently, you know, uh, and, and a lot of the I, I feel like and I covered this some when I was talk, talking to Pete, I feel like a lot of the work that CIA has laid out since its inception, especially under the Dulles brothers and um, the MK Ultra experiments, Operation Mockingbird, um, you have their infiltration into the universities. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's the idea I, I, I covered this some in in that episode I did by myself, um, where, where they, they, um, they, they carry out, they, they, they put on these, what do you call them? Uh, seminars and they have university professors come and teach you those seminars. And, um, these university professors are compromised and they're introducing, uh, leaders from other countries into the seminars, inviting them into these seminars. So then they can compromise them as well. So I feel like a lot of the work has been paved before, you know, you, you, there's that, mm -hmm. that quote attributed to William Casey that we'll know our disinformation campaign is complete when everything the American people believe is false. Correct. And then you go back and if, I don't know if, have you ever read uh, brave new world revisited by Aldous Huxley? Not revisited. No. Okay. So what he did is it's, it's basically, I think it's like 20 years after brave new world. And he's looking back at what he wrote in Brave New World. And he's he's writing, he writes, I don't know, five, six chapters. It's not real long. On, on his thoughts and opinions of how the United States and, and global governance has evolved since he published Brave New World. And his, his ultimate uh, conclusion was that he was surprised that, that when he wrote Brave New World, his brother Julian was was the head of the UN, right? And and he wrote Brave New World as a blueprint for what they wanted to accomplish. And when he revisited it, he came back 20 years later and he's saying, I'm shocked at the pace in which we're moving. 
this is going to happen a lot quicker than I thought it was going to happen. Yeah. And but not he he wasn't disparaging it. You know, he wasn't writing as a pejorative. He was excited about it. And so so when you say that, well, yeah, I thought it was going to be more like more like 1984. Well, that was one thing that Aldous Huxley said is as much as I enjoyed George Orwell's 1984, the future you're looking at is going to resemble a brave new world much more than it's going to resemble 1984. And yeah. I think that's what we're staring down the barrel of. No doubt. It's very, I mean, dude, and if you think about it, I mean, he's, he's obviously right. And it's a lot. Um, I mean, this is probably something that they determined if we're talking about the same powers, this hundreds centuries old powers here. I mean, once the monarchies were the way of the past and they decided to go democracy is the way, this is the way we're gonna rule over the people. Um, enter Bernays, if you're gonna have a democracy, right? You need to control the thoughts of the democracy, control the thoughts of the people, and then they will do as you want. I mean, dude, that's been the model. Absolutely. For at least a hundred years, for, for sure. Absolutely. So when you look at, um, when you're looking at Agenda 2030 and you, and you think back about all these kind of signs that were popping up year after year, you know, it's definitely a boiling frog phenomenon. They like, we can't just throw them into this. We're going to have to mm-hmm. introduce them slowly. But when you look at sustainable development agenda 2030, like what is your take on what that looks like? Are we, is that what we're looking at? Do you, do you think that we're looking at the ultimate UN governance of the United States, because I kind of think it's more of a corporate governance of the world over with allowing um, countries to have their own domestic policies and kind of some sort of domestic sovereignty is at least on a social level and to where the corporations just control the control and centralize the economy around their their IMF, their banking systems, their corporations. And so you'll see a lot less mom and pop operations except for like agorism done under the table obviously in the black and gray markets you're going to have those people but do you think it's going to be this this large government structure how do you think that's going to happen yeah i think we're seeing kind of the merger man i mean the united states for at least uh you know let's go back since since the federal reserve right at least um has been a has been mostly fascistic, right, in nature. I mean, it's kind of been the merger of the state apparatus and the corporate uh, the corporate system. So, I mean, from the beginning, man, right? DuPont, you guys make gunpowder. You will merge with the state. You are, you are one. I live in Delaware, we got DuPont here. And they should be, honestly, man, at this point, charged with crimes against humanity for what they've done to this planet and the people. And, uh, but they'll never face any crimes uh, they'll never face any charges because they are one with the government for all intents and purposes. So, yeah, I, I agree with you that it will be it, is, it, it will resemble a corporate takeover. We're witnessing right now, dude, I'm a I own a small eatery. It's just me uh, cafe down the street. Um, and all my friends are like, yo, dude, how much time do you have left? Six months, two years before they tell you you ha- I'm sir. I serve food. How long before they tell me I have to be vaccinated before I'm allowed to do that? So this is all. Yes, they are clearing out Main Street globally to make room for the corporations, the ones that can pay that $15 an hour minimum wage, the ones that can 
you know, hold out. Amazon's going to be just fine, man. Record profits. Walmart, just fine. Record profits. Comcast, Verizon, uh, they're going to be just fine. Um, but yeah, this is a, they're going to strangle small business everywhere globally to make room for these guys, right? Because they're not making any more land, right? They got to make the room for these guys. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, dude. It's definitely a corporate, governmental, fascist, technocratic takeover. Um, I guess I, I've listened to some of your more recent podcasts and I've heard you mention a couple times that you, you you see the UN as maybe a little bit more benign than some, some of the other institutions I like see World, them as World completely, Economic Forum and totally, stuff like that. Totally fucking incompetent. That's the way I look at the UN. Just totally fucking incompetent. I don't see any way, I don't see a way so, that you can have uh, uh, the the United Nations with the with the people, with the members of, that are in the United Nations with such different domestic ideas and, and interests to to cooperate and control anything on any massive scale. I, I just don't see it work, working, you know? Yeah, I, I guess could I'm you do it from if, a, it's, if it is a long-term than, thing. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say, I'll look at it so more, if it was, more if it's from an anarchist point of view. This, this delay is gonna kick our ass. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I look at it more from an anarchist point of view where I'm looking at this and I'm just like the the incentives aren't there like the incentive structure isn't there because they're always the UN is always going to kind of elevate the United States and a lot of these other member countries aren't going to like aren't down with that they're like no that that's not what it's about you know and they're going to want to come from an equal you know, equal footing. So I don't think the incentive structure works. So I would tend to agree with you if you like, if the UN and its founders were being honest with all the participating countries, but if it's just the United States and Israel and the, and the EU and China who are kind of running shit, like the G8 countries or whatever, if they are kind of running shit and they dominate anyway, I mean, they're, like you said, they want people to be able to trade. They want people to keep the money going, right? Just like it, through all the wars, the money keeps moving, right? They even, even during COVID, the lockdown, they had to make sure the money kept moving, right? So um, I don't know, man. I just, I think back, I remember that early uh, Poppy Bush speech where he was talking about the UN and he couldn't wait to see its, its promised, you know, uh, of the founders delivered and he couldn't wait to fucking, you know, put a cage around this global jungle that he saw, man. He just couldn't wait. And I just, um, I think that there's more like him than not when it comes to these people. So yeah, they could be really patient, man. 30 years, hundred year plan. I don't know, but I know at its inception, you know, you got the five eyes, Israel, United States, some of the worst uh, players on the, on the, on the globe, but that doesn't, that's not to say that the world economic forum, uh, the Davos crowd, all those guys aren't equally bad or, or, or involved with them in some way, or if it's all part of the same thing. Um, but yeah, man, I've been, I, it was probably Alex Jones 10, 15 years ago talking about Agenda 21. And all of a sudden, you know, when he's Houdini'd from the internet, you're like, oh fuck, it's 21. We're in fucking 21. And I don't got my boy here to tell me what's going on. And then I'm like, okay, here's the next phase. It's 10 years, right? You got 10 years till 2030. That's why I told my girl, we set the clock. Like we're gonna try and be homesteading uh, like you are now, man, but within the next six, seven, eight years and try to make that happen so that we can stand the chance. But 
So much of the focus of my podcast is to point out abuses of power and how bad things have gotten and the direction in which we're heading as a society. And it can be a real black pill. I've partnered up with Richard Grove to offer my listeners an opportunity to sign up to his autonomy course. Uh, The autonomy course is designed for people looking for solutions, people that want to shape their own future, people that are not willing to be at the behest of large corporations or the United States government or the banking system. The autonomy course is designed for those of you who wish to have complete control of the reins of your life, who are looking to be successful, that to thrive and not just survive, to provide for your family by utilizing your existing skills and learning how to market and sell those skills in order to be your own boss or learn new skills in order to leverage that into a new career opportunity. So if there's a job out there you've been trying to get or you've been wishing you could get, but you just don't have the skills for it, the autonomy course is the place for you to start to learn how to land that position to learn how to market yourself better to gain confidence and to be surrounded by a community of like-minded people that will encourage you and help you along the way so use my affiliate links and go check out the autonomy course it could be right for you yeah yeah I mean, I'm taking, I'm taking a pay cut. I'm going local. I'm like, whatever. I'm, I'm out of this bitch. I ain't giving them the opportunity yeah. to start fucking poking and prodding on me. Uh, yeah, fuck that. So, <clears throat> so, yeah, you say a lot of interesting things there about, about the manip, the manipulation of the UN, and that's possible. I, I, I really think that it's going to be. Because I look at the U.S., I mean, you brought it up, the, the kind of fascistic structure. Of course, after reading uh, Rothbard, uh, The Progressive Era by Rothbard, I, I just look at it all as progressivism. I'm just like, it's all fucking progressivism. This, this fascism, socialism, it don't fucking matter. It's all fucking progressivism. You that know? language is new to me, but I 100% agree with you. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, uh, and so... so I look at the the history of the CIA and I think it's because I've I've done so much reading on CIA. I was always interested in that. Uh, I found out about the Kennedy assassination by watching JFK when I was 12 years old. And ever since then, it's been, I've been obsessed. I've been like, those dudes, it went from those dudes are badass. I want to be a hitman for the CIA to fuck all those guys. You know, (laughs) the sick fucks. You, you know? sick bastards. Yeah. yeah, yeah That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I got some sense about my ass. I wasn't all, you know, uh, you know, young, dumb and full of cum <laughs> ready to fucking rock and roll all the goddamn time. I'm like, just leave me the fuck alone, man. You know? Right, yeah. But, but so, so I look at the history of the CIA, the way they've always operated and how they've always worked on behest of corporations and yes. how it evolved in, in, Alan Dulles used to call the CIA um, a state department for non-complacent, uh, non-cooperative countries. And so, 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. And he was, what, the second director? Yeah. So, and he was part of the OSS, too. Right. So, and, and you look at how the OSS, when Alan Dulles and his, and his brother John Foster Dulles were working with the OSS, they, they worked for, oh, shit, I can't remember the name of the law firm now. Uh, big law firm back then, very active in Nazi Germany. And they were representing the banks in Nazi Germany and, and making all these deals, which is why when you hear the stories of how the Ford Foundation or, or, or Henry Ford was financing Nazi Germany and all this other stuff that was going on in Nazi Germany was getting all this money funneled to them from American companies. It was the Dulles brothers that were making that happen. Right. right. Prescott Bush helping out doing some of that. Right. No, that they were they were friends. But it, the Dulles brothers was, were the he, ones that the Dulles brothers were the ones in charge of it. They were the ones. But, but Poppy Bush's father was involved with some. Was it Allied Bank? I, I, I yeah. can't remember the bank, but he was running money or tr getting money to the Nazis. Right. Somehow, right. Yeah. But that was through the Dulles brothers. The Dulles brothers made okay. that happen. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. They, they were the, they were the center point of that whole operation. All the banks, all the corporations that were funneling money to Nazis, it was all going through them. Uh, Sullivan and Cromwell is the name of the law firm they used to work for. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, so when they were representing, they were that's what they were doing. They were, they were technically international attorneys on the global stage. But what they were really doing is they were representing these corporations and they were creating these mergers between different governments and these corporations. And it wasn't until John Foster Dulles finally was like, I, I think we're going to have to cut ties here that Alan Dulles actually backed out of it. Or no, vice versa. I'm sorry. Alan Dulles backed out and John and, and, and then John Foster followed him. All right. But what Alan Dulles did is he started what was called um operation operation sunshine where he was he was stationed in sweden during world war ii and he was the head of or switzerland i'm sorry he was the head of the switzerland branch of the cia and he was he was smuggling nazi uh scientists and and, and uh business owners and bankers out of nazi germany through italy and then up into switzerland and, and actually helping them escape the Nuremberg trials. Even the ones that did eventually get picked up and tried at Nuremberg were actually let off because of their connections with Alan Dulles and John Foster Dulles. So these guys were like the heartbeat of that, of, of what became the American corporatist structure. They were, that this was the brainchild of the Dulles brothers. So when you're looking at the way that the government operates and how the government is all in cahoots with with these corporations it all started with the dulles brothers and it started as a as an underground operation nobody knew about until everybody knew about it and by the time everybody knew about it every, uh, these corporations had their tentacles into every portion of the federal government and so yeah. then the, the entire government gets structured around this ideal of how to op, uh, utilize multinational corporations in order to enrich political officials and to empower the United States around the globe, right? So when I look at what, the w, what World Economic Forum is proposing, I'm like, this is just a natural evolution 
of what the Dulles brothers were doing. And if you want to say, if, if, if people want to say that the UN could be a front body for it, possibly, but I don't foresee the political structure of the United States giving up that wealth and that influence and that power unless they have some benefit, you know, in from the UN, unless they're the head honcho of the UN. And I don't foresee China putting up with that. You, you see what I'm saying? So I think I think I think, I think on the govern I was just going to say I think on the governance structure there's there's a lot of this this uh incentives are lean favorably towards the United States and China expects to be able to overcome the United States. Right. Well, I agree with you and I'm kind of curious to get your take on this, but it seems to me that China wants to be and has already been positioned and has probably been giving the okay by whoever they need it from this country to be the leader of the 21st century. So when I say the UN model is the China model, what I'm basically saying is whoever the global corporate power players are, whoever represents each sovereign country, if you want to even call them that anymore, right? They've all decided, at least the G8, right? They've decided, okay, China's going to take the lead on this. Uh, the United States is maybe going to wind down. It's like, what have we been doing, man? Like, if you look at the global power players, you could look at the United States as uh, global security. You could look at minerals down here in Africa. You could look at uh, textiles in Asia, right? Like, you could just, like, break it down, like, how, how that works. Right. So maybe... We've done our job, our job as security to kind of tighten up the globe. And we're tired, right? As a country, 20 years, longest war ever, we've got to be tired while China is just meditating, sitting, chilling, sitting pretty, making money, building their infrastructure up, right? While we're like duking it out with whoever the UN might instruct us to for the past however many decades, right? So I think we're tired, man. I think we're where the Russians were at the end of their experiment, man. They're, they thought they had it all and they were just too fucking tired, like driven into the corner. So I don't know, man. I, I think the China model is probably the UN model that everyone's agreed to, which means social credit, which means vaccine passports, which means only uh, global corporations. And we've probably all agreed to it. Like, I think... They send up these test balloons, man. When AOC came out two, two, three years ago and was like, hey guys, what do you think about this Green New Deal? Isn't this awesome? And the whole country was like, no, that's fucking dumb. And nobody is into it. Right. Nobody, not anybody in the, right? But look at, look at the World Economic Forum. Look at what these guys are proposing. It's the Green New Deal. Right. That's, so I think that they're kind of, they send it out, these little On test balloons steroids. to like see what, Right. And you don't have a choice. It's mandatory and everybody's playing and we don't give a fuck if you like it or not. But they test the waters early, right? Like, hey, what do you think about cutting out all cars? Fuck cows, right? Meat? Just cut it out, right? Like, and now it's like you're, you're seeing it push hard, you know? Give everybody Netflix and a Boca burger, bro, and they'll be good. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, well, and you might be onto something because now it, you 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 mentioned you mentioned that that China is is the world standard uh, for for the corporate structure, and and you might be onto something because if you listen to Joe Biden's speech with a friend of mine had to 
had to convince me like quite forcefully to go and actually sit through that goddamn speech that Joe Biden gave. And and if you if you actually listen to what he's saying, as boring as it fucking was, he is saying that he doesn't think democracy can compete with autocracy. And that it can't. It, it, <laughs> and it, it is up to Congress to rush through the policies he wants, basically in an autocratic manner, without actually flipping over to a complete autocracy. And that it, if, and then he's kind of like given this veiled threat that, hey, if y'all don't like push these policies I want, then we're going to have to get rid of your power. And you're just going to basically be a, you know, a footstool. You're just basically going to be sitting there watching me do what I want to do, and you're going to have to be a rubber stamp for everything I want to do. Right. And that's, dude, that's Joe Biden. He is the quintessential epitome. Uh, he is the corporatist politician. I live in Delaware, by the way, if you didn't know that. Uh, this is Bidenville, man. So you can look around here and see what Joe Biden did and, like, who he serves. So what's based in Delaware? We got... This is, as I'm sure you're aware, this is the Cayman Islands of the United States. Disney, Facebook, Coca-Cola, not to mention, you know, your Bank of America's, Fannie Mae's, Freddie Mac's, uh, Chase Bank, all that shit is here. All AstraZeneca, all these people, it's all right here. So all these interests, I heard the other day, man, pharma's spending, outspending uh, the military industrial complex two to one. Two to, pharma. So yeah. if you don't think, you know, they don't serve America, right? This isn't an American plan. This is a global thing, yeah. which is really crazy. But uh, that's who Joe Biden serves. Joe Biden serves global, globalist corporations, um, not the people of Delaware or the United States. So when he goes on TV and says, yo, we need to do this stuff, that's because he gets to use this tool as like the new Cold War. That's what they're doing. They're going to ramp up everything here. And they're going to ramp up everything there. I always said, you know, Donald Trump, Joe Biden has way more in, in common with uh, Xi Jinping than they than either of those people do with the people of their own country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've always told my I used to have a, one of my best friends, a, a really uh, staunch constitutional conservative and uh, I've known him for for years. And we were getting into it one time about immigrants. And uh, he said something and I was like, you know what, dude? You have much more in common with that barefoot fucking Honduran that marched 3,000 miles to get to the United States so he could fucking be a bricklayer on a fucking house than you do with Donald Trump, man. Like, you yeah. you can say you Absolutely. love Donald Trump all fucking day long, but you got much more in common with that guy that you can't understand. Absolutely. Man, and they still, the conservatives are still worshiping at his feet. I've seen some people with 47 on the hat. Like, they're waiting for him to come back, dude. This fucking insane. And I, I tell him, I'm like, yo, do you know that if he would not have authorized the national emergency, none of your Democratic governors would have any power? Blows their fucking mind, dude. Blows their mind. What? No. Our, the governor's a tyrant. Yeah, well, he got his powers from Donald Trump. Right. Well, I don't know about the powers, but Donald Trump definitely didn't do anything to fucking stop him. You know what I'm saying? I mean, well, if, let me, if you let, look at let it, me, is it? Go ahead. It was my understanding that when he when he gave the national emergency March of last year, when he said, "Okay, the COVID thing is a national emergency," I declare it. 
that was what in, that was what gave the authority for the for any governor, Republican or uh, Democrat, to kind of lay the mandates out, the mask laws, close businesses, shut churches, do all that stuff. Well, the way I understand it is any of those governors could have declared emergency, you know, a local emergency. I'm going to have to do some research on that because I've been I've been blaming Trump. Yeah, they could have. I think any of them could have declared a state of emergency. Well, I know they could do that. You could do that when it snows outside. But until it's until it's a federal national emergency, it'd be weird if each state could like tell people they couldn't go to church. I didn't know that. I I didn't think that. According to the original uh, constitutional uh, understanding, from 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 what I gather, what the way it was written, the Ninth Amendment was written. Any state can violate the federal constitution. The federal constitution is in place to hold the federal government accountable, and each state has its own constitution to hold it accountable. So they can break the federal constitution. They can't break their own state constitution, supposedly. Obviously, it's just fucking paper either wow. way. But, but the way, but the right. way, it's the way the Ninth Amendment is worded. I hear people say all the time, "Well, well, these governors are stepping all over the Second Amendment," and it's like, yeah, well, they kind of can they kind of have that power too because the the federal constitution is limiting the 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 powers of the federal government not the state governments it has nothing to do with the state governments now now the anti-federalist warned the federalist that it would eventually be interpreted to be a, an entire single nation but it was never written intended to be an entire single nation so any state could just say no. Sec- you don't have a Second Amendment right here in Delaware. Yeah. yeah. Ah, well, that's Te- crazy, man. Technically, technically, wow. yeah. I mean, if you look back, if you look back at the way that the laws were set when the Constitution was first ratified, you did, and that this is why Biden wasn't lying when he said that there were people that could not own guns when the Constitution was ratified. He was actually telling the truth. But the federal government yeah. couldn't limit it. The federal government didn't have the powers to limit who owned guns. Only the state governments did. So, like in Texas, they're, they're, the Texas Constitution, the, they have also ratified the right to bear arms. But some states may not have. Let's just say, for instance, I, I've never looked at the Illinois Constitution. But, you know, Chicago has these draconian gun laws, right? Well, if it's not in their state constitution that you have the right to bear arms, then they can do whatever the fuck they want. The federal government just can't come and do it. Okay. That's that's my understanding from a few guys that I know that that are have studied the constitution in, in depth through college and you know like really yeah you know not maybe not Thaddeus Russell or Tom Woods PhD historians, but they they're they have masters in history and shit like that nah dude i'll take your word for it and i just i gotta i wasn't that um feeling that confident with the constitution before but i feel even worse about it now <laughs> <laughs> well they, and that, that's why i always say that I, I i identify more with the anti-federalists than i do with the federalists you know yeah. and you know as is because you know patrick henry especially put up a huge fight up against the constitution he wanted nothing to do with it he was like, this is bullshit. And the only reason that they put in the Bill of Rights was to placate the anti-federalists. And Patrick Henry was still pissed off 
because they had initially uh, proposed 17 amendments to the Constitution. Ten were adopted, and the seven that Patrick Henry thought were most important were fucking ignored, were thrown out. Damn. Anyway, that's wild. I can get. I can I'm gonna get, have to brush up on my constitutional knowledge. Yeah, I, I, I can get running down these fucking rabbit holes like whenever, especially talking about that type of shit. Because <laughs> I find it all the fucking to be yeah, a fucking but... joke. <laughs> it's all a fucking joke to me. I'm just like, oh god. Spooner was right. Spooner was right. You motherfuckers yeah, can't hold me accountable to that thing. <laughs> nope. Gun-free zone sign. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But. But so, we saw serious totalitarianism. Like, I mean, Soviet-level shit last year. And coming into this year. And it's still happening in some places. And I'm just wondering, like, how, how do you... The left... <laughs> the left has gone from adopting the libertarian don't lock up peaceful people for nonviolent offenses to put business owners in fucking prison. And, and it just goes to prove that these people have never been principled about a fucking thing in their goddamn life. It's all about power with them. Dude. All right. That, that wasn't a I'll question. I'll give you a little I'm, bit of pushback on that. That wasn't a question. <laughs> I, I'm I'm bad at interviewing, man. I'm much better at just having a conversation. I'm sorry, dude. You are no. Listen, I'm. I think you're doing an amazing job, and I'm really enjoying the conversation. Um, I'll be. I'll, let me tell you this. I come from the left, so that means a couple things. That means that I've been wrong about a lot of stuff, so I can admit that, right. and I can tell you about what I thought about minimum wage, what I thought about guns, what I thought about. God, what I thought about uh, the nuclear family, you know, when I was 20 years old versus um, 40 years old. I've been wrong about a lot of stuff. Um, but the reason that I come from the left, the main reason is because I have always been, as long as I've been a conscious, you know, adult, I've always been anti-war. Always. Before I was even political, just like always made me sick. I never wanted to play fucking, you know, cowboys and Indians or army man. I just thought that, that was sick. Um, I voted for Ralph Nader the first time that I could vote in 2000, right? Because I was just like, of course, these two stuffed suit corporate corporatist assholes aren't going to de deliver anything for anybody. I didn't know anything about economics or what this guy even stood for. He just felt uh, when he spoke, it felt legitimate to me. He he sounded like a man of the people. So I was on the left mainly for the reason of being anti-war, dude. And we saw the largest anti-war protests that came from the left, straight up communists, I believe, in the early 2000s, right? right. Um, even though they, they persisted, the fascist statist movement just didn't even blink when we did that. Um, but what, uh, again, they manufacture consent, man. And like Yuri said in that interview uh, back in the 80s with uh, G. Edward Griffin, man, like it doesn't, they figure out what the people are doing, they infiltrate the movement, and they squash it. Right, so they did that with the anti-war left. They did that with Obama. That was the that guy was supposed to deliver two things: healthcare and squash the anti-war left. And he did both with flying colors. 
So they're gone after that, man. George Bush, deliver the war on terror. Barack Obama, deliver uh, the healthcare thing and squash the left. Trump, deliver COVID, deliver the lockdown. T get the Christians out of church, Trump. You know what I mean? These managers of the state, of the, of the, of the business, right? If everything is of the cathedral, that's what they do. I yes, always, that's I always the best say, term. I, I always say, that, I always say the cathedral is a creation of the CIA. They're they're the fucking puppeteers pulling the strings of the cathedral. You talk about media, academia, and politicians. The fucking CIA has control of all of them. <laughs> right. So you have to be seriously fucked up. You have to be seriously blue-pilled as a libertarian or an anarchist, whatever you call yourself, if you don't understand the nature of the CIA. And so if you call Facebook a, free, uh, a, a private business, you're a fucking asshole. You're a fucking asshole if you're a libertarian and you're saying Amazon with his $600 million Pentagon cloud contracts is a is a store. He's a shop. He's a storefront. If you, say ass, that, if you say that He's shit to if you say that shit to me in person, I will break the fucking nap. I I will fuck you up. I swear to Christ. I will it's fucking, not break worthy. <laughs> I, I will break your fucking neck in the process too, man. Fuck that shit. I don't want to hear. Yeah. I will fucking there yes. ever since 2011 mainstream news articles have been talking about facebook and social media in bed with fucking cia and the nsa inqtel all this shit right. it's all out there right. i don't want to hear this it's a private company bro and the only reason the progressives say it is because they're using your principles against you and they're fucking trying to get power over you and wield power over you and you got to quit letting them fucking use your principles against you sorry I needed they to get use that. that. I needed oh, to dude, say that. Dude, get it out. <laughs> Give it to me. Um, no, man, they will. They'll use the <laughs> progressives are uh, libertarians on single issue things. Whenever it like if it's uh, abortion, then it's my body, my, my body, choice. my choice. Yeah. Right. Of course. It, then you can apply that, but never across the board because they hate consistency, which I'm a, I'm a fan of. I require. I require consistency but yeah man the left has absolutely lost its way i'm old enough to remember when the right uh in the 90s was the real fucking pain in the ass um but that is not the way it is today but there is an ebb and flow to things you know well it's because the, state, of who has the cathedral power. doesn't give a fuck if your cultural preferences are left or right when right. when when the fucking left has power we got to fight the left when the right has power we got to fight the right it doesn't matter. It's about who has fucking power at that exact time. N neither faction yeah. are consistent or trustworthy on any given subject at any given fucking time. Right? So, like, yeah, I remember the whole Tipper Gore and all that shit, you know, you know, putting the parental advisory stickers on CDs. I was in fucking high school when that shit happened. You know, so I yeah, remember but all that shit. So, yeah, but, but you got to understand, like, yeah, and this is why I hate these fucking wokertarians that are like attacking libertarians for attacking the left. Well, they're the ones who have fucking cultural power right now. We're fighting for our fucking lives yeah. against them. In the 90s, it was the fucking right that, that we had to fight. But today, it's the left. Now, in 10 years, it may be the fucking right again. But, I mean, we're yeah. always fighting whoever's in power. And that's, that's what ultimate goal of a libertarian is, is to equate that power. Get that power out of anybody's hands so that each person has power over their own lives.
Yeah. I try to remember, man, that we all come from different backgrounds, right? The age thing, we rarely think of that, but like I'm 40 years old. So I see some of these libertarians on Twitter that really bother me. And then I'm like, oh, I find out that they're like 19 years old. I'm like, oh, well, no wonder kids are stupid. You know, it's like, <laughs> of course. So I try and cut them some slack. You know what I'm saying? You're 19. I was really stupid when I was 19. Like I said, I'm voting for Ralph Nader. You know, so it's like, but they found themselves in our party. I don't know if you are a capital L libertarian or not, but uh, I am. I'm trying to work within the Mises caucus. No, I totally understand why you're not. And um, I support that, bro. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm but yeah, Michael Heiss is my boy. The... I'm one of the few agorists that will not talk shit to you because you're in the party. I just don't Thanks, care. Man. I'm like, whatever, dude. So, like, you do it's what all you I request. Do it's all because, I ask. Because every person that you draw into the party, I'm going to introduce to Samuel Edward Conkin. <laughs> and I, I think it's, it's all good. The, I just think that in this world, right? Uh, hold on. Can you give me one second? Yeah, I got to plug right. my, my laptop in. Yeah, okay. Give me, give me a quick pause if you don't mind. No worries, we're rolling all right. again. So, <laughs> all right, so what were you just saying about, oh, we we're talking about agorism, Libertarian Party a little bit? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it, like I, I see like like yesterday, like this whole argument between Dave and Sal blew up, you know, and then Vin and Dave had been going at each other. And I'm just the kind of guy who I'm like, I don't care because the more people you can, I know how I was attracted to Libertarianism and I know the millions of people that Ron Paul brought into libertarianism. And it's like, it, you almost have to get to some sort of libertarianism before you can make it to agorism, which to me is right. the the consistent end of libertarianism. Um, but, mm -hmm. but I would not have been, I, I would have understood like, oh, okay. I would have understood operating in the gray market, but I would have never defended somebody in the black market if it wasn't for finding libertarianism first you see what i'm saying and so how long have you have you been in that space defending people in the black market oh since 16 i guess oh awesome yeah, yeah. you're way dude i mean you're of course you you've graduated um but would you would recognize it's a net positive that Ron Paul came, inspired millions with a political campaign that was Absolutely. basically end the wars, end the Fed, end the war on drugs. Everybody could get behind it. It was like elementary libertarianism, right? I mean, it was a great way to get millions of people. Right, there. and if I, I would, I would never vote on a federal level for anything federally, but if I thought that I could campaign for or, and vote for someone on a local level that would reduce harm to, to peaceful people, I would, I would do that. I mean, I, I'd work there. Um, but I would have to be convinced like beyond any doubt whatsoever that this person meant what they were saying. Right. So local, you, you don't have a problem with that. That's not an act of aggression, but voting. I, I don't think any of it's really an act of aggression. I think it's a waste of time. Cool. <laughs> Under, that's, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Listen, my friends used to call me Davy Downer because I was so fucking black pilled, dude. So I got to be honest, the, the Mises Caucus for me and Mike Heiss in general, who I've known for 10 years, this is like 
we've become great friends through this process. Um, he's like a constant white pill dude. So I'm, I'm searching for white pills. Cause I feel like even if it's like futile, like my life is better yeah. when I am surrounded by positive people and like trying to do bring positive change. I almost feel like I'm still an atheist. I still have not accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and savior, but I would much rather bro down with, with Christians these days than most atheists. Right. I, I don't know how to explain it, but they lead, they lead what I would say are better lives than most godless motherfuckers out there, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. They, they value family and they eat well and they laugh and they love and it's just like, I don't know, man. Well, yeah, the 20 I mean, year old me. It's much less likely to be, they're much less likely to be a nihilist. Right. They have some, yes. they, have, they have like some hope. No matter what's happening around them in their life, they have something to look forward to. Uh, I mean, right. I'm agnostic. My wife is a hardcore atheist. She used to be a militant atheist. I had to talk her. I was like, look, it doesn't matter. Some of these people need Me to too, believe man. this. Some of these people right. need to believe it. You know, and, and let them believe it. They're not hurting anybody by believing it. Just let them have their thing. I was like, if you look at the Bible, right. if you read things that are in it, there's actually some pretty decent wisdom there that you can learn something from. So, Absolutely. Like, take what you can get out yes. of it and then let people live their lives and, you know, whatever, you know. But it took a lot of convincing her. <laughs> I was pretty militant, militantly atheist when I was a kid. And again, you know, Marilyn Manson and all this stuff. Uh, I owe the Christians, man, a, a, a heartfelt apology. They were right about a lot of stuff. Marilyn Manson turned out to be a huge piece of shit. Maybe when I was 16, I probably shouldn't have been listening to that. You know, video games when we were a kid, they were against that hardcore, if you recall. And they were playing fucking Mario Brothers and stuff. But yeah, look but, at it now, but, man. These but, kids are playing 10 hours, like shooting people in real life scenarios, dude. That's got to do some fucked up shit to kids. I don't know. When there's like, if you, <laughs> I don't know. I don't play video games anymore, but that's, you know, you, you brought up MK Ultra. Imagine putting a fucking screen in front of a 10 year old shooting zombies for 10 hours a day engulfed in a fucking world that's re I don't know. That's not good. You're making, you're making zombies. Yeah. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to push back on Marilyn Manson because Portrait of an American Family was a badass album. Dude, it fucking, sh I would put it in my top five <laughs> albums when I was a kid. I was the goth kid, school, man. Absolutely. That, that album was fucking great. I used to have the guy liner and all that shit. Um, <laughs> Fuck Frankie. <laughs> dude, that uh, cake, cake and sodomy. Uh, and then Antichrist Superstar, dude, that album that was is a, good a album fucking too. masterpiece. Yeah, um, it was a really good album. Yeah. But, you know, he's he's saying some pretty sick shit that turned out to be, you know, he's kind of a kind of a bastard, man, if these stories about him are true. So, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't Those know Christians, about the they, they engulfed themselves around positive stuff. Uh, he, yeah, he did some pretty, some women came out about him. You know, like, oh. you know, grooming young girls and stuff oh, like that. Shit. You know, yeah. pretty awful stuff. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Yeah. yeah. I haven't listened to Marilyn Manson since Antichrist, I don't think. I think that was the last the album I ever heard of. Yeah. So, yep. but I, I remember when I first heard about him and we were like, now we're going down this rabbit hole. I, I remember when I first heard about him, I was listening to <laughs> a, to a, uh, alternative rock station in Houston. And I was excited because they were interviewing, uh, Jonathan Davis of corn and fucking, he drug Marilyn Manson into the fucking interview with him and fucking he's, And I was like, who is this guy? 
And so I started listening to his music after that. But. Nice, man. Yeah, I was already, I was a huge Nine Inch Nails fan, and uh, Trent Reznor brought him into the game. And, uh, yeah. yeah, I was big into that when I was a kid, man. Very, very angsty, very nihilistic teenager. And, uh, you know, again, I was wrong about a lot of things. I had to figure that shit out along the way, bro. So, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I was uh, – I – I, I was I was I was delusional when I was a teenage kid. It might have been the acid, but there was there was something <laughs> happening in my head. I used to, I used to say stupid shit to people like I was like uh, uh, the second coming of Jim Morrison and shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> Could be, dude. Could be. I don't fucking know. I used to try to dress like him and shit too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. That's cool, uh, man. So I think we were all kind of fucked up at that age, you know? Yeah. You, you're yeah. finding yourself, right? Yeah. 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 Trying to figure it all out. So, but you know, it, what's good is that 20 year old you lived out that Hayek quote that where he said, uh, socialists wouldn't be socialists if they knew economics. So as soon yep. as you found economics, you were like, oh, yeah, I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> Well, dude, again, that's the value to take it back. I, you know, if you want to, to take it back to, to yeah, politics. no, absolutely. But I do like that's I, what I did do it for like me, man. To, I do like getting to know you too. So it's like, it's all oh, thank it's you, It's all man. relevant and, to me. And ditto. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that there. I just Ron Paul for me. I would. Pr I could probably still be that nihilistic, leftist asshole, if it wasn't for Ron Paul. So. To bring it back to that debate, agorism, there doesn't need to be a debate. Like agorism is the end goal. That's that's right. where we're heading and that's amazing. But if you want to get 10 million people to come with you, you might need to play in the matrix a bit, right? So it really helped me out as a, I, dude, I was, we're only talking, whatever, 2010, 2011, that I really like started, you know, finding Ron Paul. I wasn't ready for him in 2008 yet because I was still on the left and hating George Bush, hating the Republican Party, right? Hating Christian values. Um, so when Ron came along, man, I was like reluctant because of the tech, being from Texas, being a Christian. Um, but dude, and the Fed, and the wars, and the war on drugs. I was like, okay, what's the Federal Reserve? Had never heard it before in my life. I just, I can't hammer it home enough how how important I think that was. And I think he would tell you that he never thought that he had a chance in hell at winning that. And that kind of broke my heart as it did, I'm sure a lot of people when he lost. But now in retrospect, now that I've learned what I needed to learn, we still got Ron Paul for eight years, 2012 to 2020, 21, dude, he still does the Liberty Report every day. So if you want like a, national daddy figure or whatever to tell you what's up every day like look he's fucking there right he's fucking there doing the thing every day right you can t you can learn from him um but we don't need that national figure we don't need these things we can circumvent all these systems we, you know decentralization we can go around the federal reserve we don't need to crush it we can make our own shit this is kind of like but it, it takes a while to get there man and i think um Dave Smith running for president would be fucking great, dude. I think that that would be, you know, the next biggest thing probably since Ron Paul. And yeah, dude, he's not going to become the president, but he could bring a couple million more people in. And if, if you're like me, which I think you are, you do this because you just want to 
you want to see the world be better. You want to see freedom like become popular again. You know what I mean? This is not like a four year thing or an eight year thing. This is probably this is a lifelong thing, man. Right. I got, I, we just I do this five, forever. I have five kids and a granddaughter, man. I, I'm not I'm not trying to leave them bullshit, you know? Right. So good for you, dude. Yeah, and yes. well, you know, you you just reminded me of something. Uh, you remember that um, after after the election, I think they were, I think it was the Washington Monument they were showing, and it had the lights coming off of it. And hmm, somebody said, and somebody said, it's like Joe Biden wrapping his arms around the country. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was it was sick, dude. But you know. You just they need say, a daddy. They need a daddy figure, bro. Yeah, well, that's what reminded me of it. You saying the daddy figure. I was like, I, I was thinking all these libertarian podcasts are like Ron Paul's arms wrapped around the country. <laughs> <laughs> See, now you got me right in the feels with that one. I fucking love it. Yeah, so. But Damn, you know, that's my dog, Ron Paul, man ultimately with podcasting the way i look at it and i'm i'm willing to promote any podcaster that's putting out good information um and and the reason is is that ultimately it's the ends that matter and not the means as to which we get there i don't have to be the horse that's ridden into town i like i don't give a shit you know i can just i can always be at the same level i'm at and i'll be like all right whatever you know that's it's all good you know um but the fact of the matter is, is ultimately what we're doing is we're we're throwing a decentralized assault on the corporatism, on the the corporate press and on the the p political establishment. And that's what what ultimately this is all about. This is a full court press that we're in and we have to turn the tide and put the pressure on them. We can't let them put the pressure on us. And if we're all sitting back, like just going about our lives, not communicating with each other, not communicating with the outside world, not spreading these ideas, then ultimately we're putting ourselves in a position where we're always on the defense. And the podcasting and the ability to have people like Dave Smith that have a large audience that are making a difference in the LP national, whether you want to involve yourself in politics or not, they're making he's making a difference in the LP national. He is attracting people to the Libertarian Party. He's getting on the largest podcasts in the world. You know, Joe Rogan, where you have three, you know, three, four, five million people listening to this podcast every mm -hmm. every episode that comes out. Like this is a full frontal assault that we're putting on the corporate press and that we're making them aware. Like we're watching you. We know what the fuck's going on. You can call us conspiracy theorists fucking domestic terrorist, whatever the hell you want to call us, we're not going to stop because this is about freedom. It's about liberty and it's about future generations being free from the shackles that we were born into that were, were unfairly put onto us at a very young age, you know, through organizations like the Federal Reserve, the FDA, the EPA, these things like shackled us and have kept us, you know, at bay up until technology caught up to an extent to where we could actually fight back. Dude, I, that was beautiful, man. And yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And yes, again, I am, I am, I'm only seven episodes deep in my podcast. I uh, decided to do it 
when this lockdown, dude, I've been in this space for 15 to 20 years, right? Um, not specifically libertarian, but like in the, in this space, but I only started this year because that was my tipping point. And at the, the, the seed, I called my buddy, I got a co-host and the main thing that terrified me about this whole experience, man, was the lack of communication between friends and family. And like in that initial, you know, like a couple of weeks, whatever, like don't see people cut, they're cutting people off. You can't drive across state lines. And I was like already on the, I, you know, was aware of World Economic Forum, all the Alex Jones shit. So I was like, oh, I fucking know what they're doing, man. And I was like, it is important that I establish the lines of communication now. I need to, I need to become a uh, adept to this world. I need to get my mic hooked up. I need to get Zoom so that I can keep the lines open, man. And I was already getting banned every week on Facebook. And that's where I got my aggression out, you know, so to speak. Um, but there's better ways to do it than yelling at your friends from elementary school and your family and shit on Facebook like this. This is way better, dude. I can, you know, and it feels better. It's therapeutic and we can talk about stuff and get it out to a larger audience. Um, so yes, this is, we are the swarm, dude. We have to get more podcasts. So I love, I've, I'm seeing people saying, Hey man, there's too much great libertarian content. I'm seeing that on Twitter. Good. I'm like, yes, Good. more, <laughs> more, you know what I mean? B fucking bring it because that's what it's going to take. We're already on the watch list, man. John Brennan said it, right. even libertarians, you yeah. know what I mean? So we're already there. We need to participate, especially people our age, dude, because mm. we remember what it was like before all right. this bullshit, before the internet. And, and we have the, we're young enough to be able to embrace it and fucking crush it uh, and lead. You know what right. I mean? Boomers aren't gonna do it. The 19 year old libertarians are fucking the most annoying people I've ever met. So <laughs> it's gotta be the, you know, the 30, 40 year old people who are uh, knowledgeable, who have some wisdom and experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually shocked when you said you were 40. I was like, you, you don't look 40, of course. You know, you, I have you, soft you, features, bro. You you look probably like maybe 20, 26. Like maybe, you know, but yeah, you know, I, I probably look, look would. Look at these grays though. I'm getting, uh, yeah. that's where it's coming in. Yeah, that, my own mind's in my fucking beard. Uh, if, it, if it wasn't for the beard, I'd probably look 26 as well. Uh, but Yeah, man, you got some youthful features. My wife likes, my wife likes the beard. Oh, hey, Boogie, you decided to wake up. Uh, so, hey, yeah, stop, stop. Get in your chair. Uh, so, um, yeah, where was I going? Oh, so one of the things I don't, I think I forgot to send you the article and I wanted to send it to you. It was, uh, written by a guy, Parag Khanna, right? And so the, the article is destroying empire through devolution. And so now Parag Khanna, he's a guy who speaks in front of the world economic forum. He's, they pay attention to him. He's. And he, but he, and he's written quite a few books and, um, he's, so he's, he's one of these guys that's influential that nobody, that people like you and I haven't ever heard before, unless we're lucky enough to just kind of stumble upon it, you know, for whatever reason, I happen to be reading, um, technocracy, the, the hard road to world order by Patrick Wood. And he mentioned him and he mentioned this particular article okay. and I was like, well, I need to check that out. Cause that's interesting. So the conclusion or basically the thesis of the article is that it is it is up to them to utilize not not to fight not to suppress 
not to stop movements like Brexit or Texit or secession movements of any sort. His argument is it is up to them to utilize those movements. Excuse me. Boogie, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Little bit of love. All right, don't get caught in the cord like you did when I was talking to Pete. Here. Get on your chair. Get in your chair. He's awesome. Okay. So, spill it ass. You want to come say hi to Tommy? Oh, we got another one. This is Evie. Hello, Evie. Yeah, hi, baby. Hi, baby. <laughs> but uh so so he was talking about it's it's not it's not up to them to up to the world economic forum the the globalist to fight against secession movements it's it's up to them to find ways to utilize those secession movements for their own power and benefit and so what he's talking about is he's talking about if these movements start picking up steam and start looking like they're going to move forward then what it, it it's it's up to us to get in those local communities and to basically um, leverage the politicians there locally in in order to stop in order to stop the sovereignty of the citizens in controlling their own economic futures right so again it's like i said earlier they're okay with your domestic social sovereignty Right. But it's the economic sovereignty. You know, it's like that old uh, Mayor Rothschild quote. I care not who makes a country's laws as long as I control the money, you know. And so it, it's it's that yes. type of mentality that these people have. And so this guy, they, these it's I'm doing a I'm doing a, a series with a guy named Coop, who's a buddy of mine. I met through uh, another friend of mine and he's talking about the the sophistry of the uh the conceptual reality versus actual reality and the sophists who have created this this basic virtual reality that we see like online reality and stuff like that and then that's what leads to your wokeism and all these 75,000 genders and yada 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 it's this it's the conceptualizing of of their own reality and trying to mm -hmm. manifest it into the actual reality but those of us who are working with our hands who are working with the earth who are actually like involved with the actual creation and production of things are living in actual reality and that it doesn't make sense to us intentionally to actually push us out of the way so that the sophists can control those and and and, and point those living in this conceptual reality at us and utilize them as mobs, as useful idiots, as Lenin would have said, in order to to take us down and and destroy our lives. So we either bow to their conceptualized reality and their virtual reality, or we are taken down by actual reality and when they are mobilized against us. And that's what he's saying. He's saying we have to we have to utilize the conceptual reality, the virtual reality. We have to leverage ourselves, put ourselves, immense ourselves within these communities in, in order to control the economic reality of everybody so that those that are want to combat us on 
an autonomous level are not able to have tools to fight with. So they've, it, it's kind of scary to think that they have thought through that much, but you got to think about the type of people we're talking about. They have all the money in the world. They have no yep. country to call home. They can move anywhere they want at any given time because of the amount of money yep. they have. They have all the time in the world. They can hire who they want, think about what they want, fund as many think tanks yeah. as they want and come up we, with these we, scenarios. We, the think tanks. Yep. Right. Yep. We talked and, about MK Ultra. We, have, we talked about, yeah. Go ahead. It, oh, I was just going to say, and though we are aware that this threat exists in our lives, in the world, we are all limited by our resources. And as long as there is that infighting, like what we were talking about earlier between like agorists and libertarians, what you're doing is you're splitting those resources that should be pulled together. Those minds that should be pulled together working together to combat the larger elements that are that are threatening our ways of life and our liberties beyond what they've already been threatened we're we're cutting off that communication and and that that those resources that that pool of goods and that the pool of brains and voices that we can we have access to and i think that's a really poor use of time so is that is are you saying that is this the argument for not fucking with political action like there's too much uh, like real shit we should be other shit we should be doing no no the, okay so what i'm what i'm what i'm basically what i'm saying is we need to be focused on these people the the klaus right. schwabs the cia yeah. the politicians these corporations amazon jeff bezos these mm -hmm. people i mean if you go if you go through and you look at the partnerships of the world economic forum right you got moderna astrazeneca pfizer new york times amazon uh new york stock exchange like this there's number one within those companies there's no shortage of intelligence agencies period end of sentence it, right. it, you're not going to have right. them without the existence of the intelligence agencies Number two, there's no shortage of political influence and power in those companies. And there's no shortage of wealth. What I'm saying is that these people have the time to be constantly mulling over ways to utilize our strategies against us like judo, right? Totally. And, and, and we don't need to be so damn distracted with your messaging and what you think yeah. is best we need to be focused on them and targeting them and i don't care how you message but but the 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 real terrifying part is that they are thinking about our own motives our own tactics and how to utilize those tactics against us yes they are man so well yeah let me ask you like what what should we be doing then? Because I was telling my boy Dan the other day, I said, I'm pretty hyper-focused right now on Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates, UN, social credit. Like, it all seems like it is the one thing. Like, so while I told you I'm working within the party because I feel like it just feels right in my heart, mm -hmm. um, this is where I think we should be focused, man. So I'm with you on that. Um, and I think, yeah, the first conversation we had was, 
yeah, why aren't more people talking about this, right? right? I mean, that ES, is pretty much ESG to me uh, is terrifying. The genesis of that. The the ESG scores to me are like so fucking terrifying. Like I, I look at that and I'm like, they're not even gonna, they're they're going to leverage, they're going to pressure and leverage and use the mobs that have been getting people fired left and right, these cancel mobs, and they're going to use them to, to pressure banks into not doing business with people. And, and your average people like you and me are going to have troubles having bank accounts, having access to finances, having access to loans, having access to insurance, having access to investments. Yep. Like that, they're going to come after us like that in that way. So, so you well, ask, well, they we don't should. want us to have those resources. Well, they don't yeah. No, yeah. It's not that they don't want us to have those resources. They want us to bend the knee. And so what do they, how, sure. where do they have to pressure us to get us to bend the knee? Right. And if you're, if you're a 30 year old father of three, you know, and you and your wife are working 50, 60 hours a week. And suddenly all your money's fucking gone and you're losing your house. You have no electricity, no food. Like, what are you going to do? You know? So. Dude, and you said. Well, it, you said you, it a minute ago. You, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. My bad. No, I was just. Um, we're, we're dealing with like split. Split cultures here. So like. I saw, I don't know, I'm sure you saw today, the CDC said, yo, if you've had both of your vaccines, you can now go inside with lots of people without your mask on and it's all good. So some people, dude, like they're saying that, that means there's millions of people that for the past year haven't been inside <laughs> with a bunch of people without masks on. Okay. They go home, I, dude, I work, like I told you, I work in a cafe, some people come in with gloves on. Gloves still don't want to touch anything. Mm -hmm. um, masks still. Um, so those people work from home, work on Zoom, do not go outside and play in the dirt like you, like you said, man. So they've gotten this programming. You know, they watch Joe Scarborough in the morning, right? They get that CNN, they get that The View message every day. And that's what they've gotten for over a year, man. And then people like me and you, we're just living our life, right? Um, pretty much normally. So like, there is a huge disconnect right now. And yeah, those are the people, man. The the they're running. They're running the show. The crazies are running the show, dude. The way that I see it. So. Yeah, man. I don't know what to do about that. Well. And this is why I don't have an issue with utilizing the Libertarian Party if people want to utilize it. Like I said, Ron Paul brought a lot of people into the party. Um, my my entire thing is, and this is kind of an old school fucking Southern kind of thing. My mom kind of instilled this in my in me uh, from a very young age. And if you're not helping yourself, you can't help anybody else. And this is why I live like an agorist. Like, because if I'm not doing for myself, then I can't do anything for anybody else. If I don't have excess food, I can't feed, you know, my kids if they run into problems in Houston and need to escape. Like, or if my parents have to give up their house 
and and move down to live with me i i if i'm not taking care of my own shit then i have no room or ability to to care for them so ultimately i choose agorism so that i can podcast so that i can do other things for other people but i think the ultimate goal ultimate goal for every libertarian every individualist every anarchist should be in some way shape or form set yourself up to not fail like no matter what happens you're not going to fail right and i'm still looking for ways to ensure that you know and i'm still kind of moving things around and but but one thing i can tell you i'll never be without food right my electricity might get shut off but i'll never be without food because <laughs> I, yes. I, I have a stocked pond behind my house i have 11 chickens which is gonna yield me you know what two thousand eggs by this time next year um you, you know I, I have a garden i'm growing pumpkin i'm growing beets i'm growing tomatoes i'm growing cabbage i'm growing all kinds of stuff and so i'm jealous yeah so you have to set yourself up because i don't have a problem with with those of you who are working within the party the problem is and i think this is really what sal wants to get at but he's just not saying it properly the problem is if all your focus is on the party and none of your focus is on yourself eventually you're going to get to a point where you're leveraged to a point where you can't work within the party you see what i'm saying so you have to put yourself in a situation where you can't be leveraged yeah no i think there's some definite um jordan peterson knowledge in there man like you know get your house in order first yeah before you go and you know tackle some some of those problems but um yeah i started a business about four 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 and a half years ago um i got my girl well established we don't have any kids so yeah, I got time for my business. I got time for my podcast. Um, but yes, I think, yeah, you're right, man. You can't, can't make that your only focus. You have to establish yourself so you're safe. Um, but yeah, I have a little bit of that. There's some like, I don't know, maybe some leftover shit when I used to play in the band and I just like had something to prove. I just, I, um, like, yeah, I don't have any kids, man. I'm not, I'm not leaving. I could just trash this whole place and just exit and fuck everybody. You know what I mean? But I don't want to do that. I want this place to be better than I left it. Right. Or better, better than, than I came in. So that's still in me, man. I want to make things better. And um, I know that I can't save everybody. I used to think that. I used to, oh my God, everybody, you would never believe what I heard about this thing called the Federal Reserve. And I used to, you know, like Paul Revere style it. And I think that was exhausting, you know? And and at the end of it, it was like that meme, like, see, nobody cares. <laughs> so it, it was, uh, it was exhausting. It. it was exhausting for everybody that you knew, but how did you feel? <laughs> yeah, all my friends hate me, and I didn't change anybody's mind. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Now, now I'm living like Ted Kaczynski out in the wilderness, and life's never been better. <laughs> yeah. By the way, University of Texas, did you get your package? <laughs> uh, 
awesome. But all right, well, hey, uh, we've been going just over an hour. I want to continue this conversation on your show. Hell yes, dude. So we'll, we'll do a part two on your show. That and sounds really great. We'll leave everybody hanging here. We have reached no conclusions. We don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Y'all don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Nope. Trying to just wait our way, figure it out like everybody else, right? <laughs> wait, before we go, you got to tell me. Who smokes more weed? Pete Quinones or Scott Horton? <laughs> Do I have to say it on the air? <laughs> ah, no, that's okay. It's got to be Scott Horton. Dude, I just, that guy takes on so much of the shittiest things that the world has ever seen. I would just smoke so much fucking weed if I was him. That's my guess. It's got to be. <laughs> anyway, man. Yeah, keep up the good work, man. And thank you. I really appreciate it. All right, brother. Hey, you gonna be? You gonna make it out to Childerberg? No, dude. I run a seasonal business down the street. I get eight months out of the year to crush it down here. So I'm not. I don't. I don't know. Weekends are the main event. So um, I won't be doing too much stuff um, until crypto? like November. No, again, I'm I'm behind the game. Hey, I'm in the farm stand. Take, I'm like I'm like rustic. Gotta take. Crypto. I know. You gotta I do should. it. You gotta set it up, dude. You gotta set it up. I'm gonna. Can't I'm be that. I'm, I'm, I'm behind the game, big time. Yeah. All right. Well, plug what you got to plug, man. Yeah, man. Please um, check me out on Dave versus Goliath on YouTube and your podcasting platforms. Uh, I'm usually banned on Facebook, but right now I'm active on there, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Yeah, hit me up on Twitter. I'm having a great time on Twitter, man. I'm new to that too, but that's the spot as far as I'm concerned. So. Yeah, you want to you want to plug. I really your, appreciate you. You want to plug your business, or do you not oh, want yeah. all these fucking? Del- you want all these degenerates coming and seeing you? No, they definitely should, man. I got libertarian deals, anarchist deals, agorist deals. Come on down. Nice. I'll, I'll, I'll barter with you for. Uh, it's called Wheelie's Farm Stand Cafe. I'm in uh, Newcastle, Delaware. I hosted Joe Jorgensen last year. She came out. Um, so yeah, libertarians are welcome. I got waffles, coffee, lemonade, bacon. I'm chilling there, yeah, man. We're having fun. Yeah. And Can't CBD, beat. got some great CBD stuff. Too. Fuck yeah! Can't beat the bacon. I want some. If you, yo, if you're if you're in the Libertarian Trucker Brigade and you're ever in Delaware, I got plenty of truck parking. You can pull in and just pull out real easy. So. Oh wow! Nice. Yeah, man. That's always a pain in the ass. Quincy Reed. <laughs> it's easy for the truckers. That's He's right. He's talking to you, Quincy up. and Reed. You're in the first state. I got waffles and bacon for y'all. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Your bacon flavored CBD. Mmm, it's delicious. All right. Yo, thanks, Tom.
fuck them, don't feed them, cause we don't even need them. I never celebrate the times that I take in our freedoms. What's it gonna take for you to see that we're living in a wrecked democracy? Don't even need them, I never celebrate the times that I take in. I'm